podium, folks. In this episode today, I'm joined by former Olympic coaches, Brian Zemba and Rob Kober. I'm also joined by former Olympian, Troy Murphy, and former USSA Coach of the Year, Lars Johnson. And in this episode, we go through and break down the World Cup season so far. We talk about the first couple events for uh, FIS freestyle mobile skiing, and we give a big Olympic preview for the Olympic Winter Games coming up here in Beijing. We discuss our picks and break down who we think is going to take home gold, silver, and bronze at the upcoming Winter Olympic Games. We have a lot of fun, break down a lot of the action so far and who we're liking and what we think is going to happen coming up. Uh, I hope you folks enjoy. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks. We're rolling. Boys, thanks for taking the time. This is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun getting everyone in here, getting to chat about uh, the World Cup so far and kind of a little, uh, little bit of an Olympic preview as well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Mr. Murphy and Zemba, we missed you guys uh, for, the, for the opening preview, but uh, nice to have you in and also nice to have uh, Mr. Kober for uh, taking the time. Appreciate that to, to talk about the season a little bit. You've been at a lot of the events, so you can give us um, a lot of insight as well. And Lars, uh, thank you uh, for coming back and deciding to, deciding to do this again. This should be fun. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm going to defer all my tough decisions to Rob since he's been at everything. Thanks, Troy. Well, I, I'm psyched. Uh, I'm psyched to join, join you guys here tonight. That's uh, I've really enjoyed the, the previews that uh, the previews and recaps and uh, the fine work that you guys have done. I had a lot of time to listen to a lot of podcasts when I was in, in China for several months there. So definitely uh, psyched to be a part of it this time. Yeah, it's like to have you. Yeah. So uh, I, guess, I guess starting things off, what uh, we can go one at a time, whoever wants to start um, just uh, opening thoughts on kind of how, how the season has kind of progressed. And uh, I know I, at least for the winners of the first couple, I think we did first singles event and first duels event um, to start the year off. I am clearly a genius because I picked, I went out on a limb. I picked Mick to win. I don't think anybody saw that coming. <laughs> And, you know, I felt really good about that. So, yeah, I'm feeling feeling good about the pick so far. On the women's side, it's been a little bit more uh, – definitely a little bit more wide open for sure. And that's that's been super interesting and kind of exciting to see how that's progressed, you know, um, seeing Perrine kind of be challenged a little bit, you know. I think from going back and, and uh, one of the things I noticed, at least in, in Ruka, she seemed a little bit shell-shocked, uh, at least from – because I did the commentary for it as well uh, for Ski and Snowboard.Live, and that was definitely like – she was a little bit surprised. I think she was kind of expecting to come in her typical, normal, maybe 80% run, maybe not her full throttle, which has, you know, made her the four-time defending world champion kind of, uh, I think she was expecting that. And I think she was pretty surprised to uh, not be not be on the podium or not be in the winner spot. So I think that, that that's definitely been a little bit of a difference that I've noticed this year. And uh, it's been fun to watch Akuma and Mick kind of go back and forth there, but would love to uh, have have your thoughts. Well, uh, Lars, you're right next to me on the screen here, at least as I look at it. So we'll we'll start with Lars. We'll go with Mr. Murphy, Zemba, and then we'll finish with uh, Mr. Cobra. There, you guys uh, have the floor. Bob, first of all, thanks for having me again, gentlemen. Great to see you all. Um, I completely forgot that we were actually going to do a recap of our first picks, and I am having the hardest time actually remembering 
who I who I actually picked. All I know is I didn't pick Mick. Um, and nobody picked OG, but great to see Olivia kind of take out that first win and kind of solidify an Olympic spot with that. Um, that's been really exciting to watch. Um, kind of speaking to her a little bit, but um, it's been that that is the biggest curveball I think that we've seen so far. Not necessarily Perrine kind of being a little shell shocked and you know seeing all these you know other girls kind of coming out firing. I think really just seeing Olivia and seeing the package that she's put together and, and kind of picking up her speed and her turns and lines and, and jumping the way that she knows how, that's been the most exciting thing for me to watch. Um, and I, I think I'm very excited for her to go into the Olympics and I feel very confident with her going in. Um, so first World Cup, Ruka, you know, biggest thing was obviously Olivia for me. Um, do you want me to go into... What was the second World so, Cup? The uh, second one, we went Idre? to Idre, and then to... they finished in France. Yeah, you can do all, yeah. Or you can go up to DV, whatever whatever you feel like talking about. The, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to DV. I, <laughs> I can't even remember Idre and, and France from there. Um, DV, I was unfortunately unable to make it, which was a bummer. Would have been good to see all you guys there. Um, but who won first day for men? Mick? First day was Mick, yeah, and then Akuma Correct. won the second, second day. day Akuma. Mm -hmm. um, I actually thought <laughs> if we actually put our, our list down, I, I would have picked Akuma both days. Um, for some reason, I'm on this tangent of picking Mick of not winning, you know, taking those dark horses underneath. But, um, but again, I, it looked hard. You know, Deer Valley, it looked firm, difficult course. Um, I think events there during the day are always difficult to, you know, actually ski with the lighting and, you know, guys, there's so much more used to, you know, skiing there at night and that's the big show, right? So, you know, all of a, all of a sudden actually coming down and, and skiing, you know, during the day is totally different. Not having the crowd, the light, the shadow, the lights behind you, I think makes things pretty difficult. Um, but no, uh, it was, Deer Valley was definitely challenging. You know, it's interesting to see, uh, uh, at least on the American side, you know, George, who was a little bit of a dark horse come in, he skied really wow. well. Yeah. And then obviously the, uh, the super finals, I think that, that view is, uh, he's got like 4 million views on TikTok or it's NBC's TikTok or whatever of him hitting his head, which I'm sure he just loves watching that over mm. and over again. Mm. <laughs> but the, the, actually the funny part about that, uh, I remember when we were in Idre and I think he was talking with Avital about it, um, the fact that he had gotten like this super, he was really pumped on the new helmet that he had gotten and how like safe it was. Sweet the whole protection, protection, right? protection. And I had never yeah. heard of it. And I remember as a competitor, I never thought once about the safety of my helmet. I was like, yeah, it's protect. <laughs> Got a crack in it. I think I duct tape it. Like it's fine. Like it was definitely when I started competing, you didn't even need to wear a helmet. So it was definitely one of those things where it was not, um, I was like, Oh yeah, that's great, dude. Sounds like, sounds like a great helmet. But I, that did cross my mind. I was like, Oh, he was hyping that helmet up and clearly, uh, clearly worked out. Uh, Troy, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, we missed you at the first one and as you've had a chance to kind of watch the, the season start to go here. And obviously you have, uh, you know, your teammates and stuff like that, your former teammates go through and, and get a chance. What, what's been the, the overall impression, I guess, of, of the season so far? Yeah, I think a few things. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch as much as I would have liked just with work and everything, but I try to watch the free plays or at least little 
things I see on social media, but a few key takeaways. I think it's been really cool to see the Japanese, like the depth of the Japanese team is really impressive to me. I think they've like really showed up and especially like Adir Valley, they were really strong. They had, they had what, two men on the podium one day and two women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very impressive. And I think, I just like everything they're doing. I think they ski really well and um, fun to watch. So that's been really cool to see. Um, the U.S. team has been really exciting to watch. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of really strong athletes, especially on the women's side, which um, you know, obviously, it's been it's come down to the wire on on that team. Um, you know, everybody is just skiing so strong and so much depth there, so that always makes it exciting. Olivia's ten to me was super impressive. Like the first time I saw that, I was like, "Damn, that is legit." It was like, yeah, pretty. You know, like very impressive 1080 first try in competition, like. That was really, really cool to watch. Cole McDonald's been really cool to watch. I feel like every Olympic cycle, there's some dark horse U.S. guy that comes out of nowhere and makes the team. And so he's been that guy for sure this year. And uh, Bob, I know you've worked with him a little bit in Idra and stuff. So it's been kind of fun to keep up on that story. And yeah, I think the, I feel like those are the main takeaways for me. Like that's the most, the stuff that I've been watching the most and really keeping keeping tabs on is uh, obviously, like, most connected to the U.S. team, but the Japanese skiers, you know, are, are impressive. And then, obviously, you know, Mick and Kareem and all those people are continuing to do their thing, maybe a little bit rattled, as you said, Bob, but still, uh, you know, still performing at a very high level. I'm also curious to see what happens with Matt Graham, if he can come back and um, and ski through that injury. That'll be really exciting to watch, Hopefully, hoping the best for him. Yeah, no, definitely. It's been... It's been uh... For, for that aspect, Matt's one of those ones that I definitely, um, you know, he's the defending world champion and he had a really pretty gnarly crash there in Idre and sounds like the collarbone, everything's kind of healing up. I know they're training in, in Ruka right now as they kind of get through their Olympic don't get COVID camp, as it seems like everybody is, uh, is trying to get, get through uh, right now. Uh, Mr. Zemba, your thoughts so far? Uh, yeah, to piggyback a little bit off uh, what Murphy was saying, the depth of the Japanese team has been uh, not surprising, but um, it's been super consistent. And uh, I think maybe we overlooked that a little bit. Uh, I know I wasn't in the, the preseason, um, the, the lead up to the season podcast, but I think maybe we, we might overlook that a little bit, um, the depth of the girls team and the boys team. I mean, it seems like every time there's a big competition, whether it be the Olympics or World Championship, Daichi's name just starts becoming more and more relevant. And he's he's peaking per per usual at the right time. Um, and then on the girls' side, no surprise that the, the girls' U.S. team um, continues to show up. And, I mean, you could just pick any name out of the hat who's going to show up on that day. Um, they're super consistent and super deep. Um, the boys on the men's side keep chipping away, but um, they're getting close to being on the top of the box there. Um, just having a history with Wasatch Freestyle, it is very cool to see Nick and Cole's name kind of towards the top of the result sheet. Um, and to see three of the four U.S. boys going to the Olympics being from Wasatch. So that's super cool. Um, but yeah, looking forward to to see what all unravels at the big O show. It's a different ball game for sure. And um, I think they have a good mix, just getting back to the U.S. side of veteran presence, but also, um, I guess, I don't want to call it rookie ignorance, but just rookies there to lay it down, and uh, we'll see what happens. But um, And then in terms of the rest of the world, you have Jakara's name consistently back in the mix. Um, another one that always rises to the occasion. It should be interesting what 
Justine does at the Olympics and Brittany's name starting to creep back up there. Um, should be a fun show. And then obviously you have the depth of the, the men's Swedish team is always uh, with Walter and Ludwig. Ludwig always shows up at Deer Valley. We'll see if he can carry that into the O show. Um, they're a good team there, but it's, yeah, it's, I think there's a little bit more variety than, than maybe in years past. You have Mick, but even Mick every now and then hasn't been winning everything. So we'll see. It's leading up to be a very interesting Olympics. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, Rob, your, your thoughts so far? I mean, you've been able to be at pretty much uh, every event leading in. Uh, so, so, yeah, what uh, aspects on, on your side? Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to be back after being away for a couple of years. It's uh, for sure. Uh, it's nice to be standing at the top with your guy in the super final instead of watching from the bottom. So that that was a little bit different for me. But uh, but yeah, really fun to be back and be able to watch those events firsthand. And uh, for sure, like obviously, uh, obviously, I'm going to be hugely biased, but uh, my money's on Mick <laughs> going into the games here. I I thought. Uh, for sure, like Akuma is challenging him more and more. And there's other guys that can kind of rise to the occasion on any given day. No question about it. But uh, I keep my money on mix still. But um, those Japanese guys, you know, that Japanese team, it's crazy how good they are. And on the tour, I think uh, they've underperformed uh, so far, given given their talent and like Bobby, you were there in Idra. You, you saw those guys. Like, there is a ton of kids. It's like a Japanese army of mogul skiers, even below their World Cup team. They were super uh, impressive, super annoying at the same time, taking up all the space and hiking that bottom air, always being in the way. Like, for sure, they work hard, they do their part. But there's like 40 kids outside of the World <laughs> Cup team that were training in Idra. And, and it's no secret why they're so good. Like those guys went over to Europe early in the fall and they didn't take any time off. They trained right through. And uh, even over the Christmas break, they went to Whistler. I think they were scared to go home because they might not get out again. So they, they, they just kept on skiing, kept on training uh, right through. And it's no, like, no, no secret how you get good. Those guys have largely outworked the rest of the world, in my opinion, over the last four years. And mm -hmm. So it's not just Akuma. It's like, like you guys said, Daichi's in there again. And uh, Kosuki yep. on the podium here this year for the first time at like 26 or 27 years old, something like that. Like he is not a young pup. So that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to see. And I actually thought that uh, in the uh, first El Duez World Cup in qualifying, I think he actually, in my opinion, deserved the highest turn points. I think he should have probably been ahead in turn, not total score but in sure. turn points he should have been ahead of both uh mick and akuma uh in the qualifying round he's he could be he could be an interesting dark horse to watch mm -hmm. um, the american women too i think it's crazy how good they are and I, I in my opinion they've underperformed if anything to this point as well for for how good they are olivia you guys know her much better than me but from the outside uh I think she's actually looked better in training and it was pretty cool to see her uh, on the podium, on the top of the podium in Ruka. And I, I think there's, I feel like there's a general feeling that uh, she's maybe been underscored once or twice too, being the only girl doing back full and cork seven and cork 10 as well now too. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
pretty, pretty cool to see. But the other, you know, the other American women as well, I think uh, their best stuff is really scary good and consistency has been elusive. So uh, that's the one tricky thing at the games, just with that, with the Olympic format, consistency becomes a little bit more important. So it'll, it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, but I uh, feel like there are, you know, there are a few more big players going into the games this year and it should be exciting. Now, kind of, kind of speaking to that a little bit. Uh, uh, luckily, three of the members here have been to an Olympics uh, to kind of give uh, the people on the outside that are not aware just, just into some of that insight of the preparation, not only as as a coach or uh, and also like as an athlete. Just would love to get um, Rob your insight on part of that preparation, especially if you have you know, certain athletes that are, you know, supposed to be favorites as Mick, you know, was in 2018, uh, what kind of pressure that was and how much with those other athletes is the difficulty of, is it that top to bottom percentage? And like, Hey, this is the run we go with. You're hitting this thing, 85, 90% on this course. Let's not try to be outside of our comfort zone. Let's do what we know how to do. And then uh, after you're finished there, Zemba and Mr. Murphy, we just Murphy as an athlete, you know, touch on, on, on what that's like to kind of go through and that preparation, how much it changes, you know, because it's always one of those things. I feel like if, if you're on the outside and you always try to tell them like, Hey, it's, you know, it's just another event. It's, it's a world cup, you know, at the end of the day, it's bumps, a jump bumps, another jump. There's just a few more people watching, but you know, you, you try to calm yourself down, but then the reality of the situation sets in, you're at the top of the fucking course and you're like, Oh boy, this is it. This is everything I've trained for, everything I've worked for, and I have 22 seconds. <laughs> yeah. 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 The Olympic Games, you can tell yourself as much as you want that it's just like any other event, but it ain't. That's for sure. <laughs> there is nothing else like it. And uh, you know, it's very different. Like every every games I've been to was 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 different in its own way between the, like for Mick specifically between the last two, we thought we felt like it was more important to have more or as much kind of specific preparation as we, we, we could possibly get going into Sochi. Um, so we had more kind of particular projects for our pre-Olympic training. Going into Korea, we just wanted to have a fun camp just to keep guys sharp and uh, just make it really safe to jump big and do full DD and try to keep their foot on the gas and just rip, rip a bunch of runs. Phil Marquis, of course, was in a different boat, like trying to, trying to go to the, the Olympic Games with no ACL. That was a little bit of a special project for him. But for, for, uh, for Mick and for Marc Antoine, we just wanted to have a, just have a really fun camp, uh, stay sharp and just, you know, jump big, ski fast and keep it as safe as possible to do so. And I think, we achieved that both times. Uh, this year is going to be interesting for these guys. I don't know. You know, I had uh, spent five or six weeks training on the Olympic venue with uh, the Chinese skiers here this past spring, and it is going to be a different course. Uh, it's going to be a big, tough course. It's going to be a beast, I think. I, for sure, the preparation will be better for the Games, obviously, than it was for our training last uh, February and March. But it's a, it's a solid 29 degrees, top to bottom, with all man-made snow. It's kind of like small, sharp moguls on, it's like Valsancom, but 
without as much kind of flattening out before the bottom air. It stays a, a pretty, it does a little bit, but it's a pretty steady 29 degrees uh, top to bottom. It's going to be a good test for everybody. Hmm. So it definitely has that, that aggressive, gnarly kind of uh, consistent pitch and everything else. That, that, that's interesting. So uh, Murph, on your, on your preparation for going into the, the O show and just kind of um, what lies ahead for these athletes as they, prepare for the games and also it's going to be much different games but just just some of your prep that that kind of went in yeah so like it, for, you're talking about like from this point on i imagine right. which is you know like you're kind of it's almost like buckle up and like you're ready for the ride i don't know being like my first olympics and only one i went to it was didn't you don't have like a great sense of what to expect from like the time of that team is named until like you get there and you're in the gate i guess so you know, right now that they're, I think they just wrapped up their training camp in Deer Valley and we did the same thing. And that was a great way to prepare. We had, you know, that full champion course uh, with two really nice jumps and we get, like did a bunch of prep on it. So it was in really good shape, challenging, but not like, um, like not going to hurt yourself challenging. So that was a good way to prepare for sure. You felt like you're going to ski that course and you could ski it well and you're going to put down your your tricks and have clean exits then you know you felt pretty confident going into Korea I thought and we had the fortune of skiing in Korea the year before and so we kind of knew uh, what we were getting into so that was nice and then getting there getting to the the games and you have so much more time to prepare than normally you do like that a normal world cup so I can't remember Rob will know more than I do or Zemba but I feel like there was like five days of training or something like that it was it's kind of wild. Yeah, so that's like a whole new thing. Yeah. It was a lot. And like some was in the afternoon, some was at night. And then we switched like qualifying day was first thing in the morning. Like it's a, it's a yeah. wild schedule. It's like you said, like from the moment you're, I think we were all sent in Treblant and the team's named. It's like buckle up for the ride. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So it feels like, you know, you go through your whole life doing, mogul skiing and there's this very structured thing you fly to the place you register even from when you're really little like from when you're going to a, a noram or a nationals you get two days of training you compete for two days and then you get out of there and go to the next place so this was different like we flew in i think we had like almost a week before we even skied of just like processing and getting to the village and you know waiting to get to training and that's going to be really interesting this year because it'll be obviously a lot more testing you know COVID testing and isolation we were kind of like you know relaxing and getting used to the jet lag and kind of not really sightseeing at that point but definitely a little bit more relaxed than I think it'll be this year and then yeah you get like a plenty of training like too much training where you need to like really be cognizant of how much you're doing and and what days are going to train hard and what days are going to be a rest day and just kind of trying to navigate that where you want to be peaking, obviously, for the event. So you train light at the beginning and then ramp it up. Like, that, that stuff was just interesting to try to figure out. And then, finally, like, the, the games themselves, the format's different, as Rob alluded to earlier, where, you know, usually we, you would, you know, get your couple training runs in the morning, do your qualification run, hopefully make it to finals, and then hopefully make it to the super final all in one day. And if you're skiing well that day, it goes well for you because you can kind of carry that momentum through the day. And I always felt like that helped me. And at the Olympics, it's not like that because you will do your qualification run and then um, that's it for that day. And then I, I, if the format is the same as it was last time, which I haven't looked at the schedule, but is it true that you, you would do a qualification run and then take a day off and then go back for your final? I'm I, not sure if it's... 
Yeah, I think, I think last time wasn't it? Didn't they do the Q1? Q1 on exactly Thursday, like I, before I, the opening ceremonies, and then the Q2 was. Uh, yeah, so the Q1 was, to do the Q2. Yeah, Q1 was like, like one day, and then Q2 through super final. I think Q1 was like the day of opening ceremonies, and then the girls were the next day finals. Oh yeah, and then, we had a day. Up. Then wasn't it like Q2 and men like two yep, days yeah. after opening ceremonies? I want to say. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So that was for me. That was tough because I felt like I had a pretty strong qualifying run, and then uh, and then just kind of lost that momentum really. And it wasn't like I felt any different. You know, like you said earlier, you kind of know it's the Olympic Games. Like you can try to treat it like any other event, and I think that's what most athletes try to do. Certainly, what I did, and I think it worked for the most part. Like being at the top of the gate or being in training, it doesn't feel a whole lot different. I think subconsciously, definitely there. And then like those, you know, like the actual competition runs, like there's more butterflies there than you're normally experiencing, at least for me. But, um, but yeah, it's tough to navigate. Like if you have a good qualifying run and you, you do well in that Q1, having a whole day to like sit and think about it is tricky before you go out for Q2. So that's kind of the, and some of the insights and feedback for me that, uh, you know, just thinking back on it, those were some of the takeaways. But everything was super cool. I, I remember having so much fun in those training days. I remember showing up the first day to the first day of like slipping and looking down at thing and everybody, I don't know, Zen by Rob will probably remember like, what is this? The moguls were like, they were like waist, they're like waist deep pyramids. And I was like, that does not look right. But when you actually like got in there, it was like some of the nicest mobile skiing I've done. Like, so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I first saw that course, Troy, because we, especially for, you know, for Phil Marquis in particular, like thinking back to the year before, I thought yeah. that course was pretty easy. And smaller moguls small for moguls, sure. And my heart just sank when I first got to the top of the course, like for that first side slip is right away. I'm thinking this, this is not going to work for Phil. This is not going to work. And I was pretty nervous for him. Of course, we want to get out of there without making matters worse. And he ended up doing pretty darn good under the circumstances. But I was pretty scared for him when we first got to that course. Because you're right, those things were like, those were like they looked like a, an army of, of Stegosaurus, Stegosaurus yeah. going down the hill. Right? It was crazy. But it, it skied really well. You could stay right in the tight line, I, not get anywhere near those points. And I remember, like, after the first, we showed up and did the slip, and I'm like, man, this team leaders meeting, there's going to be a lot to be brought up. And then, like, all some of the athletes came down. They're like, no, it's, it was sweet. Like, yeah. it's good. We're like, okay, we'll run with that then. <laughs> No, it's that's pretty. It's uh, it's good. It's good to hear that everything you know ended out pretty well for the most part. But that hard fact of being able to that extra day of like waiting, uh, it 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 does uh, show you those that are mentally prepared and everything else. I mean, that was one of those things I remember as an eight year old watching ninety eight. I think it was on TNT when they did it. it was because Mosley won qualifying the first day, and then it was the next day they ended up doing finals. And I was like, man, I would be really nervous if I knew I won the first day. And then I had to go down that thing again. Like, oh, boy, like you're sitting there just waiting all day. Like, all right, you just have one run now. Um, but, yeah, no, it's super interesting to be able to, to get that timing because it is so unique in our sport for the most part. Uh, you do everything all in one. It's all done in one day. And um, you don't have to wait very long, especially uh, w with – 
how these events run. They want the super final done like that. They want everything on for TV. So as soon as you get around, let's get everyone in the gate, get stuff done. And uh, so it's definitely interesting to give you that extra time to kind of sit and, and think about uh, what's, uh, what's to come. Now, one thing I just want to touch on with you guys, I know it's been a, um, a interesting to see the Olympic, uh, the picking of the Olympic team, at least for the U.S. Love, Rob, I'd love to get your insight on this as well with the, uh, with the Canadian team. But um, for the U.S., there was definitely, uh, I know there was a lot of people that were, uh, some were upset. There were some petitions sent out. There was a lot in there that I think was, uh, was interesting with some of the athletes. They uh, And I don't know who it was that ended up when, when they passed the pre-qualifying that um, some people were certainly upset with that. I think on the, on the women's side that they, a couple of the, uh, the females that did pre-qualify, you had Hannah and Jalen that had earned uh, their Olympic starts um, from off, really their results off of the year before. And the U.S. team decided to do off of fist points. And some of those results um, ended up being uh, when those fist points are based off of singles and duels. So uh, some of those results that they had ended up not even being events that are used uh, for singles in the Olympics. Some of those were, were dual events. And I know that the theory and the thought process on it is to give those athletes um, more time to es essentially focus just on the Olympics. Like, hey, we want you peaking for the games. Like, there's no pressure. You can go in, you can put in that time and, and get that result at, at the Olympics. And, and we'll see if it ends up um, paying off at the Olympics. You know, we'll find out in a couple of weeks here if that, if that was the right call for those athletes that, that ended up going. And I know that was something that I think Tess was one of the ones who obviously was left out. And I know there's a lot of people upset that she, she didn't get named to the team. Um, and, you know, uh, Lemley as well, that they had some of the, the better results than some of those other girls, but, but were left off. But I think Tess was one of those athlete reps that really pushed for more of those guarantees to, to make sure they are a part of the pre-qualifying. Hey, we don't want the pressure going into the Olympics and, and that stuff. We want to be able to focus on the games and not having to get those results. Uh, so, so it is that catch 22, which I think she, I, I'm pretty sure it was Taz. You guys can tell me if I'm wrong on this or blabbering on and on, but um, just kind of your thoughts, you know, I mean, there's a real fight there at the end and then the deciding to go with a Kai who potentially, you know, didn't have the same results. I mean, clearly you have Tess, who's fifth in the world, has two podiums this year. Um, and then they decided to go with Kai, who obviously has one podium. She missed a couple events uh, with concussion. And she does have higher fist points based off of, I think, her duels win at Deer Valley last year. Um, on, on the men's side, it didn't really seem to change really too much. I was curious what they were going to do, if they were just going to go off of those fist points or, or not. Um, and to, to give full names for those people out there that, that don't know, we're talking about Tess Johnson uh, being left out for the Olympics. Those four girls that did end up going, it was Jalen Koff and Hannah Soar who um, pre-qualified off of some results from uh, essentially last year towards the end, end of the season. They had qualifying events and fist points went into that as well, which is essentially an accumulation of your best two results. I want to say it's over a one or a two-year period. But they also extended that period with COVID. Uh, so if you're kind of outside the sport and listening in, just, just to give you that. Um, and then the two that made it off of would have been Olivia Giaccio. And then, of course, uh, Kai Owens there. On the men's side going, there's Bradley Wilson, Nick Page, Cole McDonald, and then, of course, Dylan Walzak. And super pumped for Dylan to be, to be going to the shows. Curious how that was going to end out. But 
Uh, Lars, we'll start with you. Just kind of thoughts on how all that. Uh, I know there's been a big uproar on some of that decision making and, and just kind of your, your thoughts on it. Yeah, um, it's been pretty wild to actually kind of watch it all unfold. And I saw the petition go out. Um, I did not sign it, but um, it's been really interesting to kind of watch and kind of see it all develop. And I totally understand you know, that rule, that top six rule, if you're, if to be able to pre-qualify and if you're in that, you know, the weight that's kind of taken off your shoulders, I think it totally makes sense, but I think it kind of makes sense for the anomalies. It makes sense for, you know, the Michaela Schifrin's for the Kingsbury. It makes sense for those number one people in the world or, or in that top six who really do have a really good chance of, of being able to medal. It gives them the time to actually, you know, take a step back, evaluate what they're doing, and, and actually get ready for the Olympics. But unfortunately, I think where the biggest mistake was made was it wasn't, you know, that role wasn't evaluated for the women's mogul team or the mogul team in general. Uh, women's mogul team and men's slope style, I think is we're also seeing a backfire there as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, th um, I think so. I think it's so uh, Kobe Stevenson, yeah. I think on the, on the men's side, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's it's hard to see that in that sense where, you know, on paper, we knew that that rule was going to make things really difficult for those, you know, six women fighting for those four spots. And, and I don't want to say it wasn't fair, but I, I wanted to see kind of a gun show for those six girls to go out and, and actually fight for those four spots in, in, you know, the seven qualifying events that we've had. So, um, I think that was pretty, that was really tough to see, but also on the other side of things is we knew the rules, we knew the criteria. So on, on that, that being said, like seeing all this uproar and, and, you know, people fighting that test should have been named. It's, it's hard to kind of go along with that in the sense that, you know, the criteria was there, the rules were set and everybody knew those rules and, you know, life isn't fair. And I, I think that's, you know, one of the big takeaways that I've kind of taken from that is, you know, you, you can't, just because you think you should be there doesn't mean, you know, you, you necessarily deserve to be there in the sense of, you know, the rules that are at hand and whether the, the right rules or the wrong rules. So, so I've played this kind of battle between myself and trying to figure out what side I actually want to stand on. And, and I, I still don't know yet. It, it's been a tough one because to, I feel for Tess. You know, I, I can't imagine what she's going through. Um, but also, you know, everybody's known those rules and whether she you know, help implement those within the mogul team. I don't know, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been hard to watch in that sense. So I don't know which side I stand on and I, I have ideas for both, but, you know, it's whether, you know, the pre-qualified people as in Hannah and Jalen are taking this time to prep for the Olympics and get ready to, you know, put themselves in a position for a medal, you know, time will tell. So. Yeah, no, we'll it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things that's, it's tough to cer certainly navigate, uh, Troy. What I know you're uh, obviously on one of the committees for the ski team, and just kind of your thoughts on uh, on how this has unfolded so far, the drama. Yeah, it's been a tough couple of weeks as far as this goes, for sure. Um, and really, any way you look at it, you know, it's somebody is getting left home, and that person that, that would be left home is going to be a really strong skier and a, a medal contender for sure. So I don't think there is. Yeah, there was no like 
great way to slice it. But on the other side of that coin, like that means that we have a very strong women's mobile team and we have a lot of women who are going who are strong contenders. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, as far as like the pre-qualification goes and that criteria, I mean, I don't know that I agree with it going forward. Like I, I think there's probably some things we'll look into and, and look to change before the next one. But like Lars said, I mean, this has all been in place for two years now or more. So like rules have been set. Everybody's well aware of them. Um, the people, yep. you know, people were in the committees. It was voted on, and, and we kind of need to, I think, you know, gather around as a an organization and, and a country, and you know, support what the decisions that we've made and and stand by them and stick with the team that's going because we have a very strong team going, and I think, like getting caught up in petitions and getting caught up in like these Instagram battles and things like that, like that is like the worst thing you could ever do to prepare for an Olympic. So I think it's going to, the the test of the time will be to see how we do there and what those women who are pre-qualified, how they do. Hopefully they do great. Hopefully the whole team does great. But at at the end of the day, I think, you know, we had our criteria in place. Um, The rules were well known and, I think we just need to rally behind our teams now and, and try to get somebody standing on the box and standing with a medal. That's kind of the end goal. So that's kind of my perspective on it. Uh, Mr. Zemba. Yeah, some salient points brought up by Mr. Murphy and Mr. Johnson there. Um, I kind of follow with Lars to go back and forth about what is maybe the right way. The like, there's I I, I see one foot planted on each side of the line. Um, maybe like to touch on what Troy was just saying, like everyone kind of knew the rules of engagement, the rules of doing business for the past two years. So there shouldn't be too many surprises. So getting into a huge uproar of like, oh, this person qualified this way. Well, if that's what's been etched in stone for a couple of years now, then like, what what are we talking about? Like it's it's been there. Uh, but maybe touching a little bit about what Lars was saying, um, maybe some of those rules were made for the top half percent with the, the Michaela's and mix in, in mind. Maybe it needs to be more um, in tune with current results of that year. Perhaps you reward after half the season's been done, the top five, if you land in the top five, okay, like you're, you're, you're good for the next two, three weeks, go, go and train up. But um then you bounce back to kind of what Troy was saying. The good thing is we have a lot of, you could reach your, your name into a hat with the U.S. women's team, pull a name out, and you're like, yeah, that person could win today. Like, that's not a bad problem to have. Um, I will say with Hannah and, and Jalen, like, you look at their past results in China, you got Hannah got her first podium there. Jalen's won there three times. Like, there's, there's some strong resource support. They could ski those kind of, those tiny bumps and, and steep, steep pitches so you weigh that into the equation it's it's kind of really tough to draw the line in the sand of what's right right what's wrong I think at the end of the day like there's a really strong women's team going and that's what um, we should be happy and proud about and um, yeah that's it's there's no real it's it's a tough 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 call but you can make arguments for for all different sizes for all different sides but important thing to remember is there's a strong team going so let's hope they do well uh mr cober yeah i i would echo what uh what the other gentlemen have have said here you you guys have a great team a, a great women's team and a very promising men's team as well and hopefully 
you know, hopefully Tess Johnson and Elizabeth Lemley, they'll take that as motivation. I think they're both awesome. And uh, they, if they stay healthy, they've got very bright futures ahead of them. And hopefully they'll just take that on as a challenge for, for the future. And um, they'll stick around for, you know, another four years or, uh, you know, a few more Olympic cycles. I kind of, to echo what Lars said too, I think, you know, that uh, pre-qualification kind of process, we had it uh, in Canada as well, but I think it really is, that should be reserved for those athletes that are a very high percentage of converting a medal, regardless of what happens. Like for me, that kind of thing would be to protect someone like, you know, at like a Jen Heil or, or, or a Hannah Carney, in case they had some kind of minor injury before the games, then they don't have to sweat it. For everybody else, I think you want to keep their feet in the fire. You want to, you know, you want them to prove to everybody, you know, what you can do. You know, what have you done for me lately? It's, sure. it's like that. And as much as it may be uncomfortable and it might not be the popular, popular option with the athletes, they need to get used to that pressure. And I believe you're going to see better performances from the kids that have been, you know, had their feet held in the fire. And it's not necessarily, you know, you, you want to stay sharp going into the games and you don't stay sharp by resting. You stay sharp by training. And that as a coach, I think that's a lesson I've learned the hard way a couple of times. I think that was why, you know, part of why the Canadian team fell on our faces at the, world championships in 2017 we kind of decided we need a little break before world championships instead of finding a good place to train and try to stay sharp and i think that's uh you know there's multiple variables but i think that's one of the reasons why we underperformed at uh, those world world championships so so yeah i think that uh pre-qualification i i'm not uh i'm not a big proponent of that other than for the very you know creme de la creme mm-hmm. So you'd rather ride the hot hand then, Rob? Is that absolutely. Yeah. absolutely? What do you say then for something like I do think like there is something to say about Olympic experience though too. Like I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on like right. You you think of someone that comes to mind for me is someone like Julia Mancuso. Like you look at her World Cup career and it's like not all that uh, like doesn't jump off the page. And then you just like click the filter on fist to Olympics and you're like, holy cow, like this, all she ever did was get Olympic podiums. Like what's there to be said about maybe someone hasn't performed lately, but that at least they have that Olympic experience. No, well, that is, yeah, that's a good point too. That, that is a good point. I think, you know, not just the ones that have the experience and that, ha- that are proven performers in the Olympic games, but I can't help but think of, uh, you know, from Canada, how would Andy Nadi have ended up in Korea had she had the opportunity to go to Sochi? I think, boy, I can't help but think that, you know, Andy's chances of being on that podium at the end of the day four years ago would have been quite a bit higher if she'd already experienced that in Sochi. So, yeah, Brian, you're right. Like, there is another side to that coin, absolutely. But uh, I... I guess at the end of the day, I still believe in in competition, and I think that's why we all do it. And hopefully, in our sport, in a judge sport, in an individual sport, it's hard to have a, a fair selection criteria. I think probably we've all kind of suffered through those kind of processes as athletes and coaches, and it's tough to have a fair one. But you got to do the best you can, and I think uh, the athletes need to know that they can 
you know, they might disagree. Like you guys might have some short-term disagreement with the system, but if it was in place for two years, then I think you send the right message by, you know, sticking to your, sticking to your guns and respecting that process. The athletes have to, you know, believe in, believe that the system is at least going to, to protect them. And when you start messing around with things, trying to tweak rules after the fact or using coaches discretion, I hate as, as a coach, I hated ever using coaches discretion. I think that, you know, that takes the sport out of sport and, you know, you want kids to trust you. I want, you know, if, uh, if it's going to come down to kind of discretion and we're always tweaking the rules, then why have a sport to begin with? Why won't we just choose the team and just go to the Olympics every four years? I think, you know, it's about competing and you just got to do the best you can and have a, have a fair system and, and then respect that as, as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of those things you touched on Brian, that just made light light bulb go off. I mean, I thought that was one of the reasons the ski team, you know, move criteria around earlier back when they were trying to push old people like you and me out and uh, making the age <laughs> limits and everything else to, I mean, Tess was like one of the first ones on with that 14. And I thought that was to part of the prep to get some of those athletes. So they would get an O show out of the way to be able to get that experience four years ago to then go in and, and take out an, uh, uh, to get that peak for the next, you've gotten that one Olympics out of the way. I mean, Tess is a prime example. She's only like 20, 21 years old. And for me, it's frustrating to watch. I mean, you got somebody that's fifth in the world. That's not going to the Olympics. Uh, I don't know how many sports that that's happening. I think that that's, that that's pretty rare. And, um, I understand the, the fact of the, of the pre-qualification. I mean, I definitely agree with Lars and Rob. I mean, pretty much everybody on the fact that it's, it, it, it is difficult to, to be pre-qualified when maybe, you know, you're not a Michaela Schifrin, you're not a Michaela Kingsbury, you're not a uh, David Wise that has dominated the sport for years, clearly um, is going to bring home a medal. You know, I think that that's maybe what frustrated the most people is uh, I think from the, the people watching their eyes and everything else, I don't know that the four best women to give the U.S. a medal opportunity are going. Uh, I think that that's tough. I think an argument can be made on, on the men's side as well. You look at, um, you know, George, uh, he has the third best result of the Americans on the men, on the men's side. It, I know he crashed in the super finals, but if we're going off of results, you have Nick with a fourth place, you have Cole with a fifth, and then George is third with a, with a sixth place. If we're going off of results this season, uh, and then you'd have Dylan with, with, I think he was just outside in Tremblant with the seventh. So I think that that, um, and obviously there's a lot of politics and a lot of things that go into it, but, um, I, you know, from a, from a coach's perspective, you want the people that are going to, you know, get you the medal. That's what you're in for the, for the, every, those, every four years. And I think, um, you know, it, uh, as an, from an athlete perspective, it's super frustrating. I mean, Murphy, you were there, you got what fourth at Val St. Home and they ended up taking two people. And that was a whole different thing when they added in slope style and everything else. But I mean, you know, I think that uh, you you certainly had the results to go to uh, Sochi in, in 2014, and we're kind of uh, left left to watch. So uh, you know, it's 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 frustrating, and obviously, you know, you want to take the best of the best, and somebody's always going to be left home. That's the way the world works. And Flora's point, you know, there's going to be losers, there's going to be people left on the outside. Uh, it's certainly um, been frustrating to watch, though, and I think that that's a lot of you know those girls that are pre qualified. 
You look at a Jalen, I think her top result is like 11th or 12th. And maybe she's tinkering. She's trying to do some, some different things and, and peaking for that Olympics. But I think it, you look at the history of people trying to, to tinker or peak and like, oh, this, is, this event isn't that important. This is the one that really matters. I, you know, I don't think that that really works out that well. It seems pretty fucking important to Mikhail Kingsbury to go out and win every single World Cup. He's not like, you know what? I'm going to try and tinker and let's peak here and let's worry about that event. I'm pretty sure he's going out to kick everybody's ass every time he steps on the hill. I think all valid points, but I think these conversations would have been better had two years ago. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. While we're on the topic, like, um, Rob, can you fill us in on who exactly is, I don't want it to be completely uh, U.S. focused. I want to include our neighbors to the north. Can you uh, fill us in a little bit who's definitely going for the Canadian squad? Uh, I, I believe it's just three. I believe it's just Justine and uh, on the men's side, Mick and Laurent Dumais. And that's I think it, that's huh? it. Wow. I had heard that uh, Sophie-Anne Gagnon and, um, and Chloe. I had heard three women and two men. Yeah, it was posted not that long ago. So, oh, okay. so Chloe, Justine, mm -hmm. yeah, Sophie-Anne, Sophie and then... Is that Laurent, right? Okay. Well, yeah, that, and then Laurent yeah. Dumay and uh, and Mikhail are going. <laughs> I thought it was just the one. Whoops! I, I didn't one. mean. I didn't mean to roll you there, Rob. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Oh, too good. Oh, that's a bummer. I was pulling for uh, Brendan Kelly there and uh, a couple of those other guys. It's interesting. Well, I guess that's probably a situation where they're running in a out of spots because I think. I was surprised, to be quite honest, that we're sending as many men. But then you yeah, look at the skier cross side, you're like, okay, we're sending one skier cross person. We're like, Canada dominates in skier cross, so I'm sure yeah, they yeah. kind of looked at the medal count. Okay, who who could be on the box? And uh, that that's a sport that definitely could could bring you guys home some medals. So I'm sure that must have had a, a say in it. Yeah, we're pretty, I think, unfortunately for the mobile skiers, we're pretty strong in the other disciplines right now. And, uh, you know, that that was one of the things that I was most proud of. And some of the, you know, in, uh, going into Sochi, going into Vancouver, when skier cross first came in, you know, it was a it was a challenge to feel the full uh, full quota on on the mobile side. And uh, I think the, the competition for for our kids from half pipe and slope style and especially skier cross is pretty stiff. Mm -hmm. Now, how much on, on your side uh, and going through, and obviously you've had a few different Olympics to go through and, and those athlete selections. I mean, was that process pretty straightforward? Were there ever times that you did have to pull out? I know as much as you didn't want to that coach's discretion and be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go outside the world here, or were you pretty much never for the Olympic never. Games? Never, no, okay. never, never. We had a pretty, pretty hardwired selection process, which I think was largely pretty good. It's pretty basic, just based off of placing points. The couple of times that I thought it kind of backfired on us is when, uh, you know, Phil Marquis almost didn't get to go to Sochi because of a result of, and not, I mean, have all the respect in the world for our half pipe team and our half pipe, you know, the coaches and the athletes, but we had a girl that I think she had a fourth or fifth place and a half pipe world cup in Calgary where there was only maybe six girls in the whole event. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of thing that just grossly, grossly skewed the results. And when you're counting just off placing points, that's just not fair. When Phil's got, you know, 
sixth place out of 65 guys and a half pipe girls got like a fourth place out of six girls. It just, you know, that's just blatantly patently unfair. Um, that was one instance. And then it didn't happen to us in moguls, but on the aerial side, that's like, it's kind of like a pretty basic, pretty straightforward base system, but then there's all these tiers within it. So it's like off placing points, but if you've got a first place and like two eights that supersedes like the kid that's got three seconds kind of thing. Like, so there's all these tiers within and they pre, or they kind of jumped the gun and told the kid told, I think, I believe it was Ryan Blay that he had a spot to go to the games in Vancouver when by, by the points he did, but by the tiers he did not. And they had to go back and tell this poor guy that Ooh. no, in fact, you're not going to the Olympic games. And, uh, but yeah, we never, never used uh, any coach's discretion in selecting for Olympic spots. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, it's going to be, uh, well, that's, that's good to hear, at least on, on that end. Stick by the books, stick with that. What, uh, so, so for you guys out there, what do you think is going to happen? There's not much. They, they canceled a lot after the Olympics. So I guess we should probably do our picks for the Olympics, who we think are going to go through. I guess we'll go top three uh, men's and, and women's. And I think this is going to be difficult because they, they did not get a test event on this. Right, Rob, if I'm not mistaken, there's, they didn't do a test event on it um, nope. last the year. I think it was supposed to be world championships and then they canceled amongst, it, right? Uh, yeah, it was supposed to be world championships. Mm -hmm. And no, like most, uh, I think most of the test events, I think in some disciplines, some other sports, they were able to do some test events this season, mm -hmm. like just prior to, but for us, you know, we were kind of the guinea pigs on that course between uh, our team and the national, the Chinese national team. We had uh, a couple of little events uh, on that course, but yeah, but that was it. So it's going to be, it's going to be new for everybody and uh, it's going to be pretty interesting. I'd like to be at the top of that course uh, on the first day of training when everyone gets to see it for the first time. That, that should be interesting. And what's who's, the length on who's that? In charge of, who's in charge of the whole course like who's the cheaper course that'll, that'll be interesting yeah i'm not sure troy I, i've been wondering that too um because of covid last year they do have one fellow that's pretty like that kind of knows what he's doing uh one course builder um i so i think those guys like you know toby's team they kind of uh together with this one guy i think they they built the course and i think they did a pretty good job but it's just, it's a very difficult uh, venue to work on if you don't have pretty experienced people and uh, to maintain that course, boy, like you need guys that know what they're doing. And we did not have that last year. Um, so I, I'm not sure who is going to get the call to, to build that course, but uh, hopefully they have a lot of support, a lot of guys uh, helping out that, that know what they're doing because they will need it. I think they should I'll give similar. Tony Gilpin and Nat Sherman a call. Tony Gilpin, Nat Sherman. Yeah. But I think Tony doesn't want to get vaccinated. So I, I think either he, he might be out. So I don't know if they're going to let him in. If he's <laughs> Two years ago, Timmy Marr actually signed a contract to be the chief of course for this Olympics. And then once really? COVID happened, yeah, they pulled the contract and they were going to do everything from in-house. Hmm. How so, similar? I don't know how much? That'll be interesting. How similar, Rob? Would you say it is yeah. from down the street at Taiwu? Very similar. Okay. Very similar, but hmm. steeper, and uh, 
maybe just a hair longer. Tai Wu is pretty long too, though, I believe. Eh? Tai Wu is like 245 or something, 240, 245. Yeah. I think the Olympic course will be 250, 255. Wow. Um, it's a nice... Nice, long, steep course. It's going to be a beast. Now, do you know, are they planning on, uh, would, would they use that event uh, or that, that venue again in the future for World Cups and FIS going forward? Or you think it's one and done here and then back I to Tai Wu? So. I think it'll go back to Tai Wu. I okay. think it'll go back to Tai Wu. I don't think, I think after the games, that course will be dismantled i i don't know that for sure that's speculation but that mm -hmm. would be my guess i think it'll go back to taiwan interesting and how far is that from from beijing for you know i mean the athletes i guess to do i think it's pretty early on so i think opening ceremonies is kind of um right before yeah. or right after. i think maybe the late similar to uh 2018 where the ladies might get their training and, and first day of qualification kind of around opening <laughs> ceremonies how is it pretty far from beijing it's an hour and a half on the high-speed train or like a three to four hour bus ride, depending on Beijing traffic. The, the but, train's uh, open now. Cool. The train is pretty cool. It moves. Okay. It, it moves. It's like 350 kilometers an hour kind of thing. That thing flies out there. So yeah, it was, uh, I got to ride it a couple of times. It was about an hour and a half. Very cool. So I, I mean, I guess taken, I mean, you guys have been able, uh, Murphy, you've done very well at Tai Wu. Uh, Zem, you guys have all been there. So you kind of have a little bit of an idea of who could come out and potentially show up there. And um, I feel like there's usually always one surprise on the box, uh, not necessarily with the winner, but I feel like someone, you know, Daichi, I don't think a lot of people saw coming in uh, 2018 to, to get on the box there, at least on the, on the men's side. So I, I'm curious. Um, I, I guess we'll start with, uh, why don't we start with Rob, Rob, what, what, who do you, who's your call? Who do you think for, for, for men and women? We'll start with the, we'll go ladies first and then, uh, and then with the men. Well, I think, boy, I think, uh, on the ladies side, as much as I hate to say it, I kind of hate to say, I'm kind of a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of the way she competes, the way she carries herself on the course. She's not my favorite skier, though, but I think Perrine is going to defend. I think, uh, you know, she has shown some chinks in her armor here this year, but I think, like, really under pressure, and uh, I think, you know, she's kind of got that that inner competitor in her. I think she's going to rise to the occasion. I think, uh, I think Perrine is going to be gold i'm gonna say jakara anthony just because she has been she's not necessarily flashy or the best girl out there but she is so consistent and i think consistency is going to be key to make it through to the super finals on a tough course like that so i'm going to call jakara for the silver and i think uh Ari will squeak in there for the bronze still interesting interesting yeah on the men's one. side i'm of course i'm going i'm going with mick like i said already my money's on mick uh, I think Mick's gonna gonna defend his title. I think uh, I think one of you guys said it might have been you, Bobby, but uh, I think you know they're not necessarily my favorite skiers technically either. But I think you know Lasse has done such a great job of building a strong team, and those guys have such a good kind of team dynamic uh, amongst those Swedish men. And Ludwig has done well on the tougher courses over the years. I think he's going to be the dark horse and, and upset Akuma and push him down to the third rung on the, on the podium. 
I think, uh, you know, Akuma, his best stuff is, boy, it's like he's definitely the guy that could be, uh, could, could upset Mick. But uh, I think consistency for him, too, has been elusive. You know, he's most of the runs, like he's really been pretty clutch. But as far as having that really clean, mistake-free run, I think Mick is a better bet. And uh, be interesting to see if Akuma can prove me wrong. But I, I call Mick gold, Ludwig Falstrom silver, and Akuma Horishima bronze on the men's side. Interesting. And then if, if there's any, I guess let's go, we should probably do one maybe uh, for each discipline, one uh, or for each gender, one women's, one male kind of dark horse that maybe somebody would not see coming that sneaks in. Yeah, that, well, you guys, I'm going to steal, I'm gonna steal your uh, Wasatch <laughs> Thunder. And I'm for a dark horse for me. I'm a big fan of Nick too. I'm a big fan of Nick Page. I think mm -hmm. he's got a very bright future ahead of him. But I think Cole McDonald. Cole for me, if he can find that like that intensity and that kind of confidence that he had back at the fifth event and then going into Ruka, like I, I, I have to confess, Bobby, I was like, Cole, who's this Cole kid from the Norams? And I knew he was good, but, but then, you know, I remember talking to Jordan, uh, talking to my son about how, who was looking good on that course. And Jordy's like, no, yeah, you, dad, you're going to eat those words when you see Cole <laughs> training here in Ruka, like he looks really good. And then sure enough, I, you know, I thought he might end up on the podium in Ruka too. So I think, for me, Cole is uh, would be the the dark horse on uh, on the the guys side, and on the women's side for a dark horse, that's a tough one because I think again, like the U.S. team is so strong. I don't, I wouldn't consider any of those girls really dark horses. I think mm -hmm. any of the U.S. women could end up on the podium. That that wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, I would maybe, I, I would maybe go with Kai. I would maybe go with Kai. I think like her best stuff too is really, really good. Again, consistency though is the thing for her. If she could put down, you know, the number of good runs in a row that she's going to need to make it through that final round and then kind of show her best stuff in the final, final round, I would probably go with Kai Owens for a, a dark horse on the women's side. Mm -hmm. No, I think those are, those are all good, uh, good picks. Lars, uh, what are your, what are your thoughts? Well, well, Rob really threw me, for a curveball a little while ago when he was kind of giving an explanation of what the course is like um, with how difficult it is, steep, long, you know, sharp bumps. So it's, <clears throat> I don't think my picks are going to change all that much, um, but it, it definitely brings a lot of good insight on, on consistency and who's actually going to lay it down. Um, and we're, should I just do women or should I do men and women? Go men and women, and then let's uh, throw okay, a dark horse great. in there too. Yeah. <clears throat> so women, um, I'm going to go Perrine. Um, I kind of think, you know, with, you know, kind of some of the mishaps that she's had and, you know, but with, you know, the experience and being winning Olympic gold medalists, I think, you know, kind of those mistakes that she's had this year are going to, you know, light that fire a little bit more and kind of, you know, really make her be consistent and be focused and really kind of put her best thing down to kind of to win that gold medal again. So I pick Perrine one. Um, I pick Henri two. And I'm, if she can hit, <laughs> so we're going back on difficulty, of course, consistency. I'm going to go OG three. If she can land her full and ski out of her full, that's the biggest thing. Um, so, and we'll see if she's even goes with it, but I'm, I'm going to pick an American for third for, 
with OG for the women. Uh, for the men, consistency, Olympic experience, I think goes, you know, a, a very long ways. And I'm going to go Mick one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer of, you know, postseason Super Bowls, you know, the, the more experience that you have there, the better prepared you are, you know how to prepare for it, which I think is one of the most important things. And, and you have, you know, you have that experience and you're comfortable, you know, nobody is necessarily comfortable in those situations, but the more times that you're in it, you want, you can understand it a little bit more. And with understanding, you can kind of focus and, and physically work a little bit differently and, and more collectively to kind of get to that top spot. So I'm picking Mick one. Um, I'm going to go Ikuma two. You know, I think he's actually shown, you know, in 2018, I, I really, I don't know, Rob, if you even considered uh, Ikuma being a threat to Mick in, in 2018 with, you know, the lack of his consistency. But I think he's kind of shown certainly this year that he can put three really solid runs down. Now, can he do it over a span of a couple of days? Time will tell, but I think I think Mick or I think Akuma is going to hold on to that number two spot. And third, right, you know, young blood, you know, Emerson was on the high horse, you know, for Ruka and, you know, couldn't stop talking about it. And all of a sudden comes out, you know, and gets fifth in Ruka. And, you know, I think Cole McDonald, I, I, I was skeptical in the first – in the first podcast that we had, but, you know, I love, you know, kind of seeing that young fire and, and kind of that not necessarily careless attitude, but he's, he's free out there. He skis wild. He skis fast. He skis strong. And I, I see Cole going three. Uh, dark horse on either side for uh, men and women. I, you know, I, I think I or just Cole the dark. Is that horses. it? Is that who it is? Yeah. You're going OG and Cole are kind of your, uh, the, the, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny. Well, the, the interesting thing on uh, with OG and the one thing that gives me, like when I come with my picks, a little bit of pause is is the moment. And it's yep. the same thing for both of those guys. You know, it's their first time going into the yep. Olympics there and how much, um, you know, maybe there's not quite as much pressure because you aren't going to have any fans. It's going to be very sequestered. It's going to be very different Olympics in that regard. Of course, yes, it's still the mm -hmm. Olympics, but... Uh, I feel like that will make it very, very different. Um, but that is one of those things where with, with Olivia, and I know she's had those issues in the past and as, as had Cole, and I think he's sure. really built and, and sure. made steps upon that. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a different <laughs> And I think piece. they both have. Yeah. Right, sure, yeah. yeah and, I, and I think they've kind of proven, you know, a lot of that wrong to an extent. And, you know, for, you know, for Olivia, she could put a qual or she could – and Brian, I think you were probably coaching her at this point, but she was one of the best trainers out there. And all of a sudden, Qualls run, she can't ski out of a top air, you know? And, and so, you know, I really think she's kind of gotten that monkey off her back a little bit and kind of, you know, really worked on that mental game. We know she has it physically, um, you know, and I think she's proven that she's kind of gotten that monkey off her back a little bit and kind of can put three solid runs down, you know, mistakes here and there, but she's consistently going super final. So, you know, Olympic games like you guys were kind of talking about and those who've experienced it totally different animal right so we'll see yes we will mr mr murphy but it is, yeah. is your time for those uh for those loved picks all right um it's this one's tough because again like hearing rob's feedback <laughs> about the course being really difficult 
didn't yeah. help me at all. And then like thinking <laughs> back on the formatting and having a day to think about it, that doesn't help my case. But um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm really it's tough. But on the women's side, I think, man, I would love to. Yeah, I would love to like go with those young U.S. women on top spot like if, to see Olivia do a 10 and like take on the top spot would be amazing but I think consistency is going to be key over multiple days on a difficult course so I think Perrine is probably the safest bet for the top spot there and and I'd also follow that up with Henri because I think she's been fairly consistent and it's I'm also trying to think like to those conditions and I, I would expect it'll be like tight really tight firm small moguls mm-hmm. um, which maybe plays more of it into the men's side but that would be my two, one, two for the women. And then third, I'm so torn between Olivia and Kai. I think either of them could, uh, you know, if they can hold it together, like we've all kind of been saying, they've got a great shot at it. Olivia, if she can do the 10 in a clean run, I think that would be, you know, very strong uh, argument for the for the podium. And then the same with, with Kai. She's got the great jumps as well. Really nice quirk seven on the bottom and some really nice skiing, so. Man, I'm gonna say Kai for third. Kai for and third. And for a dark horse, might as well throw in Olivia. You can interchange those two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in the men's side, I'm, I would definitely go with Mick. I think just thinking to again to those conditions on what I would expect them to be, which again is those firm type moguls. I think he has the best shot of like skiing really clean, um, not making any mistakes, and like keeping it all under control, but still skiing really fast at a really high level. I think in those conditions, a guy like Akuma generally like would like a little bit more bump, like a little bit bigger of a bump there to, to kind of get the feet on and to get some pressure on the backside and to like keep the control where I think a guy like Mick can just like really stay in the front of those boots and like just lock it in and hit all those backsides. So I'm going Mick, Mick one plus all the Olympic experience and consistency and the guy's been there a million times. So that's a pretty safe bet. Um, I'm going to go Nick Page in second. I think that he's been building momentum over the past couple events here. I think that that kind of skiing does suit Nick. And I think he's going to show up with really nothing to lose and let the dogs bark and do some big tricks, maybe see a 14. So I'm going with him. That's kind of a dark horse call, but I I would like to see that. I also can see the argument for Cole, same thing. Um, But I'm going to go Nick second, and then I think... I'll go Akuma in third. Um, kind of wild picks here. We'll see what happens. For a dark horse on the men's side, I think we've all made a strong argument for Cole. If I'm going dark horse, I'm going with Dylan Walzak. Um, oh, Dilby. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Yep. I think Dylan is due for a podium. It's been a minute. He can finally do a 10, which, you know, is, and it looks pretty good when he does it well. And he can ski really challenging courses and make it look really nice, like really good technical skiing, good body position on a firm, what I expect to be small, tight course like that, I think they'll do really well. Plus he obviously um, is generally pretty good at skiing through runs. Like I know he hasn't maybe, hasn't made the super final this year, but you know, he's getting through those finals and I think he has the stuff to get that dark horse spot. So those are my picks. All right, Um, Mr. Zemba. Oh, this isn't an easy conversation like the the past three gentlemen have had. There's <laughs> arguments for everyone. Um, but I think on the girls' side, um, 
well, maybe the Olympic experience is in there, the momentum and consistency that Henri's bringing, um, and just like the kind of the training regimen that that Japanese goes through. I think they're kind of well prepped um, that Henri will continue um, her successful season and end up on the top of the box with uh, Perrine right nipping at her tails in second. Um, and then Jakara, um, just we talk about building consistency every run. Um, we talked about the Olympics is right. There's going to be mistakes. Who's can either make the, the least mistake or the least noticeable mistake. And uh, Jakar is pretty, pretty consistent. So I'll have her in third. Um, and then it's like the, the wild card, dark horse. It's a, it's a crapshoot between all those girls on the U S team. They're throwing big tricks um, on a kind of like what Rob was saying, a, a, a jaggedy sharp, course which has me like a little concerned in the consistency factor and I know someone that likes um tight moguls sharp moguls she has three wins and I think a second in China is someone like Jalen like it's it's been a minute too to kind of touch about what Troy was saying like that Dylan's kind of due for a podium that Jaybird could be due for a podium and she kind of likes the conditions over there so she would be my dark horse in the girl side. <laughs> and then with the dudes, um, I'm going to go <laughs> with uh, uh, pillar consistency. Like, I'm going to go with Mick. Like, <laughs> shocker. Uh, we talked, like, to, to harp on again, there's going to be mistakes. Who's going to make the least noticeable mistake? Like, Mick can miss a pole plant or two or have one step out, which is going to be, Less of a mistake when Akuma makes a mistake. It's it's noticeable for a couple bumps there for sure. Um, so I'm going to go Mick one. Uh, in terms of touching on what Rob was saying, a strong men's team um, that they have and the kind of the ski style and the course, course kind of jaggedy, quick, um, quick edge to edge. I'm going to go with Walter two um, and then Akuma three just because – the run's going to be exciting, but I feel like there is going to be one little oh moment, whether it be in the middle of the middle section or coming out of the bottom air, that uh, will will have them fall towards the lower end of the box. But then, um, so yeah, Mick one, Walter two, Kuma three, and um, I'm going to piggyback on what Troy was saying that uh, Dark Horse Nick Page, I think, is going to be uh, in the mix as well there. Um, suits his style. Um due for a big moment but it's a the flip-flop between nick and cole but nick just has a little bit more experience of being in the gate in big moments so i'm gonna go yeah. with nick no definitely it's re you guys thrown out a lot of really good picks so it makes it it makes it really hard you kind of go back and forth and zemba you stole a little bit there because i was putting walter on my box so i was really i was like you know Especially yeah, he really it. impressed me in, in Tremblant and in Idre, those smaller courses, uh, just skiing so fast. He was, and at Deer Valley, at least watching from a hotel room, um, looked like he, he was going huge with that full, taking the 10 to a good spot. And he, he skis so fast, so aggressively. And, and I think that, um, at least on the men's, I'm going to have definitely have Walter on my box. I'm going to go with Mick, uh, number one here. I think he's coming back. And I think Mick, uh, not only is he the most consistent skier and everything else, but he's aware of the sport and he's aware of the history. And he knows that Bilodeau has won double gold and he, that is certainly on his mind. I haven't talked to him about it directly, but at least in knowing him well, he doesn't want any part of history. 
he wants every part of history. I mean, he, everything yeah. that there can be won, he wants to win. So if Bilodeau has got two goals, he most certainly wants to have uh, match him with that. And um, so I think he'll, he'll go in, he'll win. Um, I think in second place, it's, it's going to be um, I'm, I'm picking Walter in second as well. I think him nice, aggressive. He's kind of been flying under the radar. I mean, he skied really well in um in tremblant and everything else as he's kind of built back from from that knee injury and everything else i've, I've been really um just so aggressive right, for, and fast for someone yeah, I mean, third in the world he's flying under the radar he's very much <laughs> flying under the radar there's no question and uh in third place um certainly flying under the radar i'm going with matt graham uh and i think that part of that is the fact that i think desovich wow. has everybody as prepped as possible those australians do such a good job and i think they'll have such a uh a pre um, Olympic camp in Ruka. And, and um, so I, th I think Matt will come back strong from, from that collarbone. And luckily it is just a collarbone. I mean, it's usually just a few screws, nothing really too crazy. It's not like an AC separation where you really have to have to deal with too much. Um, I'm sure obviously there's a certain amount of rehab and everything that goes into it, but um, Matt's so dynamic and everything else. And I, I just see Akuma, especially over the course of a couple of days and everything else, making a mistake or two you know i think if you look at back over the last three or four years on who's going to be most consistent when it matters most um you know I th and matt has that olympic experience you know he's gotten a silver before so i really see uh, a matt stepping up and skiing well and then um i think cole for the for the dark horse you know it's it's if he's going to be able to handle his emotions and and just go through and uh, if he can just go top to bottom and ski his run and not not try to do too much, you know, it's a lot of the things we talked about in Idre and everything else. Like, dude, the talent just oozes off of him. And it's just, you know, let's keep things simple. Let's not, uh, if, if he's able to do that, I think he could most certainly um, be on the box. But but right now I'm, I'm picking Mick Walter to, to step up and, and Matt Graham. And then on the, on the women's side, I'm picking Jakara. I think Jakara Anthony is going to come out. She's so consistent. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of Dale back in the day. Like nothing sexy, nothing too crazy. Like, but everything is land pinned and just consistent. May not be the fastest time, but it's within a second. It's within reach. And there's really not too much as a judge you can take away from the run. You're like, wow, that was really good. And, you know, um, that, that, yeah, so I think Jakara is actually going to come in upset. I think she will, uh, she will get the win. Um, and I think that um, Perrine will finish in second. I see Perrine in second. And then uh, I'm going with Henri in third. So I think Japan will be on, on the podium there. And then the dark horse on the women's side, uh, who's no one's really kind of talked about, but showed up at uh, World Championship last, day, last year, Anastasia Simonova of Russia. Really kind of showed out, and and of course with you know where a pivot slide, the judges don't really seem to care too much if it's tight bumps as long as you stay tight. Another one I think would be a dark horse on a course like that would be Yulia Galasheva. Uh, it's you know you can't really deduct much when she has no separations. It might be windshield wipers coming down the course, but if you don't separate, it's hard to pull anything away from that. Uh, so I think uh, Russia will kind of uh, Anastasia Simonova is kind of my my dark horse to maybe make some moves in there, and then. Olivia could come through with the 10. It's just the, the consistency with that. Um, and if she's going to really, really do that. I mean, in watching in Tremblant, there was absolutely, and I know it's her first time ever doing that in an, in an event, but you could clearly see as soon as she landed her full, she made about three turns and she was thinking about that 10. And it was like, okay, like there was a clear 
from, from watching her training and watching some of her qualifying and everything else, you could see there was a clear set in of, okay, I, she was thinking about it the entire time. The tone of turn and everything else was, was not quite the same. And that's what makes me, you know, kind of put Mick a little bit on, or Nick uh, Page on the outside a little bit, is if he's going to go 14. You know, it's one of those things watching in Ruka where he had um, some really nice skiing, and then you saw him completely change up uh, and get super wide and, and change his turnaround. And if that's what he's been building for um, uh, with those U.S. athletes, you can definitely just see, at least from me watching training and, and watching to being able to do some of the commentary, like, the, the tone changes when that big DD and everything else, um, the run definitely is not the same. And if I can notice it, I'm pretty sure the judges can notice it. So those are my picks for, uh, for, for the, yeah. uh, for the O show there. Good call, Bobby. I'm kind of jealous on the Anastasia dark horse. I kind of forgot about the Russians, but <laughs> she, if she can find the form that she had when she was training at Idra before the Russian team moved to Ruka, mm -hmm. like she, for sure, that's, it's an easy course. It's a sure. could be a misleading sample, but she, the way she carried herself on that course, she was like in training. She was the girl to beat, in my opinion, on that course. And then when the World Cup, like I think she did okay. I'm not super familiar with what her results were in the in those early World Cups, but you could see the change in her demeanor as well. If she can kind of find that confidence, uh, that's a little bit the same as Cole too. I think like just the way Cole carried himself and. You know, I think he's done well since then. And I wasn't in Deer Valley, mm -hmm. but uh, you could see it like it's not that he wasn't confident anymore, but in Idra for the fist event and then in Ruka, it was like he believed in himself. You know, just the way like he was walking around like he was the man. And if he can find that again, that's kind of why I, I think he uh, he's my my dark horse. And the other guy I kind of forgot about, but just to throw another one out there that I think a young man that's really kind of starting to figure it out now, really very well coached is uh, is Cooper from Australia. Absolutely, I think yeah. Cooper could surprise some people here. He's just kind of like putting things together and starting to build his confidence too. And uh, on a tough course like that, if he can be consistent, he's he's another guy that could surprise us. No, absolutely. He, he's skiing super, super well. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny what it, Rob is going to be, is, was on the podcast and that'll be coming out this week. And uh, one of those things that uh, we, we talked about where I'm curious when he takes that, not just him, but athletes in general, of when you take that next step with the degree of difficulty, because I feel like that's the one, I mean, he's got a smoke show of a run to a fold of cork seven, but I feel like if you really want to be able to challenge that King, that Mikhail Kingsbury or that Akuma Hiroshima, you're really going to need, that, that um, degree of difficulty on a consistent basis. Because, I mean, the dynamic skiing, I mean, Desiv Steve Desovich, the uh, head coach there, has them uh, all skiing at such a great level. And, and Peter and uh, Kate Blamey, they all have them skiing so highly. But it's, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm curious when, because that will really make the difference. That's when he will be that Matt Graham level of being able to knock those other guys kind of off the, off the box there. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, any final thoughts here? We've had a bunch of time to uh, talk some shop on some mogul skiing, so I'm glad, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll do – I think we should do a post-Olympics, talk about that, and then maybe do a little uh, kind of end of the, the World Cup, kind of preview those last couple events. I know uh, a few got canceled. We still do have Calmody uh, on the schedule, at least that dual mogul event, uh, and then, of course, World Cup finals in Mijev, singles and duels. Uh, but any, any final thoughts here, guys? Lars, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, I do have a question. Does anybody know or has anybody seen the schedule for this Olympics? I do know it kind of seems like 
you know, the mogul team is only going to be there for a week. Um, I know the border cross team is they kind of get in, they race and they, or they go to opening ceremonies, race and leave um, with it kind of being a COVID year and kind of getting athletes in and then shuttling them out pretty quick. Are they changing the schedule at all? Have you guys heard anything about that? So the event program as I have it right now will be um, January 30th will be the first day of training uh, January 31st. Uh, you got four days of training, which is not the typical nowadays. Usually it's about two and go. So you have four days and then Thursday, February 3rd, uh, will be the women's qualification, um, the Q1 and then men's training and men's Q1. So that'll be on February 3rd. And then, uh, Friday, the fourth, there was a training session. So you get a day off on Friday, the fourth to be able to train. And then that Saturday, Friday the fourth is, uh, oh, also opening ceremony. Also opening to, ceremony. To so, there you go. so, nope. so that's maybe potentially why the training day. And then Saturday, uh, you will have the, uh, quality, uh, qualification two and men's finals. And then that Sunday you will have women's qualification two and women's finals. So they will have plenty of time so, to the women will have a few days are, to, to think about it. Yeah. They're so using every day possible. Men will have qualifying training day compete. Yep. Women will have qualifying training day day off compete. Yes. Yep. That's not right. <laughs> Way to sit on those thoughts. <laughs> That's what the men had to do in Sochi, I believe. We had a day off, and it was. Uh, yeah, we had a one day off in Korea. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Really, like, what do you do? They'll have a training right? day and a full day off, so that's like two days and not competing. That seems wild. Yeah, like as coaches, we like Rob. I mean, Rob certainly can speak to this, considering his experience more than mine. But like, we're still up there working. But what did you do on the on those off days in between time? Like. I know one day we went down to the to the sea village and got some McDonald's, but like, what do you do to kind of stay busy and keep your mind off things? Man. I think on that off day, we just, yeah, just exactly that. <laughs> just chilled, like tried to sleep in and watch movies and stuff. Like we couldn't go to the course and, and ski because the women were competing that day. So we watched the women. Um, Man, yeah. But just, yeah, tried to kill time. Yeah, I don't, with the Canadian team in Korea, it, it just seemed like there was always something and which was good for me because for sure it was very intense. It was pressure filled. Um, but I think we, there was just, at the time it seemed like too much, like there was just debriefs here and meetings there and it just seemed to be nonstop. And uh, I think that was for me personally, that was good in the long run because it did keep me occupied. Otherwise I, I would have been losing my mind, but for sure it was, you know, now it's fun now to think about, but I was, it was pressure for sure. I was, <laughs> I was feeling it the whole time. And uh, I don't know, I, for some reason I was able to sleep in Korea, but pretty much every waking hour I was, you know, I was sitting on pins and needles. So it was a uh, oof. And is it, uh, uh, Rob, is it, would it be harder in knowing that you, you have like the, uh, an expected gold medal? It's not like, oh, yeah, we think we're going to do pretty well. I mean, you have someone that had dominated the sport for so many oh, yeah. years. And then it's like, oh, yeah, now he, he got silver last time around. So clearly, and, and yeah. he could have won. That means, So, I mean, it is, <laughs> what was sure. that like? That was absolutely pressure, pressure 
filled every moment for sure. For me, I know like uh, Mick handles the pressure way better than I do. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> I was, you know, it's like his legacy is for sure. No matter how we frame it, anything less than a win, than a win would have been a failure uh, in Korea. And uh, I was very confident for him. That's for sure. I was, uh, I was very confident. It was really cool that night. Like I, I really believed that he was going to win. Uh, but at the same time, I was poof, like, there's no no words to describe to describe the pressure that's for sure and uh but I, you know at the same time i, I love it i don't want to go through every day uh like that but i sh <laughs> i sure cherish that experience and those memories but uh yeah the boys you know the nice thing is and i'm sure probably you know troy and you could speak to it uh as well but you know when you when you get to go to the Olympic games with your teammates, you know, good buddies, I think that helps a lot for those boys, you know, Mick and Phil and Mark, those guys grew up skiing together. It was their second Olympic games all together. And that sure goes a long ways. I think they really uh, supported each other well. And, and they had a lot of fun. They had probably a lot more fun after the event, but uh, <laughs> they had a lot of fun there. So I think that helps a lot. Yeah, no, definitely being there with the teammates makes it a huge, a huge difference. So it'll be cool. It'll be actually really cool for this men's team. Um, you know, like Cole and Nick skiing, same situations since they're really little together. And then Brad being there too is kind of like they're the guy they've probably looked up to since they were like six years old. So that's a really interesting and cool dynamic. And with Brad having gone to two, um, really knows the landscape and those guys, you know, it's their first one, but they've got a you know, somebody who they really trust and they've always looked up to to kind of guide them through that. So that's a huge asset for that men's team. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. No, definitely, but definitely think of help for sure. I didn't mean to cut Lars off on his final thoughts. So now we got the schedule <laughs> lined up. Go for it there, buddy. <laughs> final thoughts. Um you know, fortunately, I've been thinking a lot about these Olympics, and my first thought isn't COVID. Um, you know, I one of my closest friends is on the U.S. border cross team, and he's going to the Olympics. And you know, we've we've Can talked we just a lot call about him what he him is, and family your, and your brother-in-law. Come on, oh, let's just my, call him like it is. Uh, best man at my wedding, future brother-in-law. <laughs> let's just call his uh, Mick Deardorff is his name. Um, <laughs> But, you know, like talking with him and talking with family, we've, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the Olympics and, and moving forward to that and talking about mogul skiing. And, and there hasn't been a lot of a COVID talk. And I think that's so refreshing. And, and I think, you know, the Olympic Games as a whole can kind of bring that out. And it's, you know, bringing all the nations together. And it's, you know, it, it's such a special event for so many people and it's such a special event for the five of us on this podcast. And it's, it's so fun. And, and I think it's almost, you know, relieving to kind of talk about, you know, these events and talk about the athletes and going into these experiences and not necessarily thinking about COVID and, you know, dealing with all the restrictions that they're actually going to have to deal with over there, I think is really going to suck. You know, it, it's not going to be that normal, you know, Olympic experience that they, that they normally have. But you know, in the end of the day, they're all Olympians and they'll be Olympians for life. And I, and I think that conversation, you know, trumps COVID and, and any other negative thought out there. So, you know, Olympics are great. And I think it, it brings the best out of people. And I'm excited to see what these games have to offer. 
final thought. Absolutely. Mr. Murphy. I mean, really nice thoughts there, Lars. I, yeah, I'm just, um, I think it'll be really cool for me because it'll be, you know, like went to the last one, watched some of the summer games, and it's definitely like much more nostalgic when you look back on it. And I think with the winter games, it'll be even more so that way. So um, I think like now I'm a little bit more like outside the sport and in, in uh, you know, in like a day job and working in an office and all this stuff. So this will be a really good way to like really feel those emotions again and get back into it and feel like you're there and. Uh, so that's really, I'm just really looking forward to that and, and really looking forward to watching all the athletes, but some former friends, you know, some former international friends, seeing how they do. And then also, um, I feel like there's some promise out, out of this U.S. team. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do. And I really am hoping that we can uh, bring a medal home this time. So those are my, my parting words. Mr. Zemba. No, I think it, uh, I mean, it, it's just good to, like you right to touch a little bit with what Lars was saying like what's going on in the world the past two years or um my fiance likes to call it it's March like 693rd because I think we've like COVID started on March 14th and every day since then it's felt like the same day so we're on March 693rd I think you ask her to, to be talking about um that the Olympics are going to happen like it's good to get those those feelings and mojos and excitement going, but um, I think it's going to be a crapshoot and like it's going to be a, a, an Olympics like there hasn't had like we've never had with in terms of the restrictions and um, we talk about a little bit of kind of the Olympic experience and um, you get to go to this and this and this, but maybe it being more locked down in an experience, um, you never know what's going to happen. We talk about not having the big crowds and not having the distractions of uh, going and checking out this event or going to this, like being kind of more in a bubble, kind of more like we're all used to. You show up, you go out, you train, you compete, and you go back to the hotel room. Like who knows who's going to kind of step up and rise to the occasion with that uh, normalcy in terms of what we're used to, but what's unnormal in terms of what goes on with the game and the hecticness of that. So it should be should be uh, interesting and look forward to any surprises, um, hopefully non-health or COVID-related, <laughs> that may happen. <laughs> Mr. Kober? Yeah, not to add too much to that, but for sure, I'm, I'm excited. I wish I was going. I'm going to miss not being there. Um, the one thing I know for sure is uh, there's going to be stuff. Stuff's going to happen that there's no way we are – anticipating right now or could possibly anticipate so I look forward like Brian just said I look forward to seeing what's gonna what kind of curveballs are going to be thrown at these guys for sure there's going to be something in China whether it's COVID related or, or otherwise I think there's going to be one or two surprises both uh, you know, maybe in the results but just in how everything unfolds and uh, like I say I, I wish I was going to be there but it's going to be nice to be watching it all on uh on my TV, sitting on my couch downstairs in my own basement here for once. That'll be a little bit of a different experience. And uh, just thanks for having me on, guys. This, this has been super fun. Thanks for indulging the, the grumpy old Canadian coach here. It's uh, <laughs> it's been really fun. I love to talk shop, love to talk mogul skiing. It's good to see you guys. And uh, thanks, Bobby, for, for the invite. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. This has been a, a, a ton of fun. And thank you guys for taking the time, uh, especially we've been – 
chatting for a lot about not only the uh, the Olympics but World Cup season and everything else. And uh, I think I think either way, you know, um, it's it's the reason I really got into it um, was watching Johnny Mosley in 1998 running around on my couch with American flags. Like, oh my God, he did it. He did it. So, I mean, just from that aspect, it, it, it brought me into this sport and to be here chatting with you guys. And I'm, I can't wait to watch, you know, I, the summer Olympics is okay. I don't, I pay attention like a little bit, but the winter Olympics, I try to get in as much as possible. And I'm sure all you guys have multiple friends, not just in mogul skiing, but so many different disciplines. I mean, our, our roommate, who we refer to as our son, Jasper Good, Jeff Good's son, competing in Nordic combined. I mean, I'll hope, uh, and I'm ex I'm expecting a gold medal out of him, or at least being on the podium or something. It's a second Olympics, but no, it'll be it'll be so much fun to just support all those different uh, athletes and everything else, and no no matter what it'll what it'll bring with COVID and th those challenges, and just can't wait to uh, support all the athletes because all you. Uh, here with me are former athletes and you know the blood sweat and tears over the years to to put in for an unknown and most of us are just sitting here talking about it uh, some get to participate most do not so for them the ones that are there and uh, wish everyone the best of luck and can't wait to talk to you guys uh, after the olympics to talk about all the surprises and all the picks that we got wrong and uh, yeah can't wait to do this again soon so thanks a lot everybody for for listening in and uh, really appreciate it Right, Thanks, bye, Bob. guys. Yep. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And if you're watching or listening on YouTube, please make sure you hit that bell button so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Thanks.